Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the CX Goalkeeper Podcast. Your host, Greg, will have smart discussions with friends, experts and thought leaders on customer experience, transformation and leadership. Please follow this podcast on your preferred platform. I am sure you will enjoy the next episode with the guest I selected for you. Tonight it's really a big, big pleasure because I have the founder of Customer Experience together with me, Joe Pine. Hi, Joe. How are you? <laughs> Greg, I am doing just fine. I appreciate uh, being on your CX Goalkeeper uh, podcast and talking about my views. Thank you very much. It's really a great, great pleasure. And before we start, uh, this is, was one of the first books that I read, and uh, and it's really something that I say he made me better in business and also in my personal life. And this is the thinking and what we are sharing in the customer experience community. And therefore, we are really thankful for the great work that that you did, Joe. Thank you very much for that. Well, that was very high praise, uh, Greg. I appreciate that. But did, I got to ask, did you did you read it first in the original edition? No, I have only this edition. I'm sorry for oh, that. Yeah. Okay, wow. So if that one came out in uh, 2020... Right, the first one came out in 1999. We had an update edition in 2011. So, uh, so I'm I'm glad that you uh, became acquainted with it in the last few years. That's terrific. Thank you very much. Before we deep dive speaking about the experience economy, we would like to learn more about you. And therefore, as usual, I always I always ask, could you please introduce yourself? Sure, I'm Joe Pine, and often the first thing you say is co-author of the Experience Economy. But uh, but what I do is I go around the world speaking, teaching, and uh, uh, consulting, and helping companies create greater economic value in their business. Thank you very much. And perhaps in order to learn a bit more about you, which values drives in life? Which what? Values. Well, that's a great question. So, um, so number one, right, as a, as a, uh, as a Christian, it's important to have the values that, uh, that God in, instills in us. Uh, and um, it's important also in, uh, in business to, to, to uh, have those same values. You shouldn't, live, shouldn't you know, do different things differently in business than in your, in your personal life. But I will say that, uh, you know, so, you know, our, uh, you know, our greater purpose is to glorify God. But my specific purpose in business, I often say, is to is to understand what's going on in the world of business and then develop frameworks that first describe what's happening and then prescribe what companies can uh, do about it. And so the short version of that, sort of our three word uh, theme of our, our company, Strategic Horizons, is frameworks are us. Thank you very much. And I think that's also a really a great framework for everybody in the customer experience community. It's your book, the, the experience economy. It's more than 20 years old. Perhaps from where came the idea of writing such a book? Well, it, it actually first came, it came from my first book, which is mass customization. You know, mass customization is about efficiently serving customers uniquely. And what I discovered is that when you mass customize, you automatically turn a good into a service. If you look at the classic economic distinctions, goods are uh, standardized, excuse me, services are customized, they're done just for a particular person. Goods are inventoried after production, but services are delivered on demand when the customer says this is what they want. And goods are tangible and services intangible. 
but an integrated part of mass customization is the intangible source of helping people figure out what it is that they want, right? So then you figure that out, then you put together the product and, and give it just to them individually. And when I said that in one session long ago, it was late 93 or early 94, I, um, uh, one of the guys in the back of the room raised his hand and he said, well, you, know, you, you already talked about service companies that mass customize, what does it turn a service into? And I shot back that mass customization automatically turns a service into an experience. And I went, whoa, that sounds good. <laughs> right? Hold on a second, I gotta write that down. And I thought about that and I realized it was true that if you design a service that is so appropriate for this particular person, exactly the service that they need at this moment in time, that you can't help but make them go wow and turn it into a memorable event. That's what an experience is, a memorable event that engages each individual in an inherently personal way. And so I realized, well, then if that's true, then experiences are a distinct economic offering, as distinct from services as services are from goods. And if that were true, then there would be an economy based off of, of experiences, the experience economy. And so that's what led to, uh, I shared that with uh, uh, a client actually that became uh, my partner, Jim Gilmore. And we worked on that and, and published the original book in 1999, as you said, although we started publishing articles on it in 96 and, and 97. And even though, okay, so like I discovered this almost 30 years ago, it's even more applicable today, right? Everything we wrote about is applicable today. Uh, exactly. I think you discovered something 30, 30 years ago, but nowadays it's extremely re relevant. And you mentioned two topics that I think it's important to, to deep dive. The first one is the, the progression of the economic value. Could you please elaborate a bit on that? Yeah, so that, that progression of how economies evolve over time, how the, the primary economic offering shifts over time begins actually before goods, and that's with commodities. You know, commodities that for millennia, we have extracted them out of the ground and sell them on the open marketplace. Commodities are the basis of the agrarian economy. Then with the industrial revolution of the 18th century, and in particular, the rise of the system of mass production in the early 20th century, is when goods became the predominant economic offering, and we shifted into an industrial economy over, over 200 years ago. Now, now, services have, like goods and twice, have always been around, but they became, became the predominant economic offering in the latter half of the 20th century. You know, even manufacturers increasingly got more and more into services, made more money on their services rather than the goods. I worked for IBM, and that was the case. You know, we started valuing the services more highly, making more money off of the services. And, uh, and so uh, what happens then in the service economy is that goods become commoditized, that they're treated like commodities. If people don't care about the brand or the features, all pretty much the same anyway. They come to care about three things and three things only, and that's price, price, and price. And that's when goods have been commoditized. Now, increasingly, services are being commoditized as well. Uh, and that means that companies need to, to find a new source of differentiation, right? I mean, you could live with being a commodity. You know, there's one or two companies in every industry that can be successful, the ones that lower, lower their costs, that, that automate as much as possible, to get rid of as many people as possible. Not very fun, but, but it can be very successful. Um, but otherwise, you search for differentiation, and that leads to the next level of experiences. And again, experiences have always been around. They're not a new economic offering, just newly identified, where you, you, you think of it as use goods as props and services as a stage to, again, engage, right? That's the key word, engage each person in that inherently personal way, and then create that memory, which is the hallmark of the experience. So now, 
we've shifted into an experience economy. Now, I should mention, too, that there's one more level in the progression of economic value, right? where, where, because experiences can be commoditized, you know, been there, done that. That's the hallmark of a commoditized experience. Uh, and, and, but when you customize an experience, when you design an experience now that's so appropriate for a particular person, you can't help but um, uh, turn into what we often call a life-transforming experience, an experience that changes us in some way. And so that's a transformation. A transformation is the fifth and final economic offering in this progression of economic value, where you use experiences as the raw material to guide people to change. You know, things like uh, fitness centers and healthcare and higher education, management consultants and B2B are all about transformation. And it's always been a uh, part of the progression of economic value. It's there from the very beginning, because I always ask, well, what's next, what's next, what's next? Um, but we did, my, my uh, uh, partner, Jim Gilmore and several other colleagues, we came out with an article in the Harvard Business Review in January, February of this year, 2020, called The New You Business on Transformations and provide a lot more detail on it. And that's what it is. You're using experiences to help people create a new you. And that's the highest economic value you can provide. Uh, I read this article and not only the content was great, but also the picture that you used with all these flowers. They were outstanding. <laughs> I, w I wish I could take credit for it, but, but no, that's all the Harvard Business Review editors. <laughs> no, sure. But at the end, the content is the, the important part. And it, it was really, really interesting. I think you mentioned an, another topic that is, is relevant and we should understand is mass customization. Could you please elaborate a bit on that? Yeah, so so mass customization is when you when when was recognizing first of all that that customers are unique, right? That every individual person, every business, whoever you to, they're unique to every other thing. We we often we we combine them into mass markets and segments and niches. We we think the generations are all alike, or if they have the same demographic, they're all alike, and that's just complete hogwash. Every customer is unique. So we need to give them exactly what they want, but we need to do it at a price they're willing to pay. We can't just increase our cost tremendously in order to customize. So that's the mass part of customization. And the, the secret to doing that, or the, or the number one principle to doing that is modularity. Right? When you think of modularity, think of, of Lego building bricks. Right? Greg, what can you build with Legos? Everything. Everything, everything. Why? Because you have a large number of modules, different sizes, different shapes, different colors, and a simple and elegant linkage system for snapping them together. That's all modularity is, modules plus linkage system. So if you can modularize your offerings or your processes by which you make those offerings, then you can ma truly mass customize. And often you can lower costs by uh, modularization uh, over producing the same thing over and over again. While at the same time, you're eliminating the sacrifice that people undergo when they have to buy something standard. So today you can get virtually, you know, there's almost not a product out there or a service or not yet experiences, but some where you can't um, um, efficiently customize for individual uh, people or businesses. Thank you very much. I think you are always using one, one great example. This is the coffee example. Perhaps also for the people that are not really in the CX community that can a bit understand a bit more about that. Could you please share that? Yeah, it's an example that, that works around the world, right? Because like almost everywhere around the world, you drink coffee. 
And, uh, and if you recognize, well, what is coffee at its core? It's beans, right? Coffee beans, you grow out of the ground, right? Those are a true commodity. But then you extract them out of the ground, and then manufacturers take those beans and they grind them, they roast them, they package them, they put them on a grocery store shelf. Now, if you look at what farmers get for the at the commodity level, right? It's, and you convert it from a, a per pound to a per cup basis. Basically, you the farmers get two or three cents per cup. That's what coffee is worth per cup at the commodity level. But manufacturers, right, because of the increased convenience, because of the packaging, because they're bringing it to market and so forth, they get 5, 10, 15 cents per cup. But you take those beans and now you, you actually brew them for a customer in a vending machine, a corner diner, a kiosk, a, a bodega, or uh, you know, a Dunkin' Donuts, 7-Eleven around the world, right? Then you get 50 cents, dollar, dollar and a half per cup of coffee. But surround the brewing of the coffee with the ambiance and theater of an experiential coffee shop like Starbucks, of course, which brought it to the world. Now, how much you pay? Right, often three, four, five dollars for a cup of coffee that only has two or three cents worth of beans in. Right, that's the progression of economic value. That's how you create more value. Notice that there's two orders of magnitude in value created. You go from two or three cents to three to five dollars. And uh, and that's in recognition of of the value that people get out of uh, out, out of that at, at each level. I think what you're saying is it's 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 extremely interesting. And I had the opportunity to participate to several uh, conferences where we were speaking or I was watching you. And one time I had the opportunity to ask you also a question. It was the Amazon question because uh, every let's say customer experience expert is saying. What is what Amazon is offering? It's a great experience, and you really explained in a very nice way that <laughs> it's not an experience. Correct. It's it's a great uh, story, but could you please share that? Sure, sure. It's and and well, so there's a sense in which it's an experience because the word experience is an incredibly expansive word, and so 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 one can say truthfully that as long as we're conscious, we're experiencing. And and somebody else could say, well, if you're dreaming, your your brain is experiencing something as well, right? So yes, there is that sense of it, but not it's not an experience as a true distinctive economic offering in this progression of economic value that I'm talking about, right? So so why? Well, because what one of the core distinctions between services and experiences is time well saved as a service, time well spent as an experience. That people value the time that they're spending. That's what they're buying from you. And what Amazon does is it is the best time well saved company in the world, <laughs> right? Where you can quickly find exactly what you want. You can one click and order it and boom, it's on your way to your house and you spent 10 seconds. I mean, literally from, from thinking of something you want to buy to order, you spend 10 seconds. I remember being at a conference once and this was, a, I had, uh, this was many years, it's 2011, I think. Uh, it's when my, my book, Infinite Possibility, came out, which is about using digital technology to fuse the real and the virtual. And I was at a conference, and I was talking on that, and I had a copy with me. And, and a guy said, oh, let me see that. Oh, wow, that's fantastic. He goes, click, click, Amazon app, opens up, look, camera view, sees the book, clicks it, recognizes it, boom, done, on his way to his house. I mean, literally 10 seconds. 
right? So that is incredibly time well saved versus saying, oh, I think I want that book. I'm going to go find a Barnes and Noble or other bookstore somewhere. And then I'm going to go seek it out and go, hopefully they have it on the shelf. If not, I got to order it, you know, and then it'll take weeks, you know, so forth. So, so it's absolutely wonderful service. And what it does is it gets into what I think is the core distinction between what most people call customer experience and what we mean by true distinctive experiences. That what most people call customer experience is just making our interactions with customers nice and easy and convenient or frictionless is sort of the byword now, right? Amazon is frictionless, it's beautiful. Um, but all those characteristics, nice, easy, convenient, frictionless are all service characteristics. They're not experience characteristics. Right, nice is nice, but rarely does it rise to the level of memorability. And to create a true distinctive experience, you have to create that memory. That's the hallmark of the experience, the residue of the experience. Um, when we make things easy, often we routinize things for our own employees to make it easy to deliver a service to, to their customers. But that gets in the way of being personal, right? That's doing the same thing for everybody again, because we want to make it easy. Um, but, but experiences are inherently personal. Experiences actually happen inside of us. All right, it's our reaction to the events that are staged in front of us. And finally, again, convenience is the antithesis of what I'm talking about, because then convenience is spending less time with customers, spending as little time as possible. And you know, you know, that's what that's what most customers want today from goods and services, is they want to spend as little time with the company. Why? So they can and, and they want it to be commoditized, so they buy it at the lowest possible price and the greatest possible convenience spend as little time money. Why? Why? So they can spend their hard-earned money and their hard-earned time on the experiences that people value. So experiences, again, are about time. That's the key. Their experiences are about the time that customers spend with you, and then it's time well spent. I, I think that's extremely important. What, what you are saying, and it's also part of the title of the book, it's competing for customer time, attention, and money. One remark on, on what you said, and then we can speak about getting the customer attention. That's what we discussed also then via email when while I was inviting you to this, to this podcast. It was um, perhaps with Amazon, I can compare and use an order shop to buy something. It's extremely, if it's this seamless as Amazon, but an, an experience like my preferred soccer soccer team, I would never change that. Even if they would lose the all the games in the championship, I would stay right. committed to them. Exactly, exactly. I'm going through that right now with baseball. I'm a diehard New York Yankees fan, and they've had the best record in baseball. It's been a wonderful season. Just enjoy it. And all of a sudden, they're like losing three out of four games. And it's like terrible, but but am I going to switch and watch somebody else? Well, of course not. This is my team, right? And they provide, and and they're, they're obviously they're in the experience business, is what uh, all sports are. And uh, and you create that relationship with them, you're going to keep it for life. Exactly. Thank you very much. We spoke a bit about attention, and I think that's that's the big issue that a lot of businesses have because the attention of people is decreasing and decreasing. If I read that the last thing that I read about TikTok, people are watching 2.7 seconds a video and then they decide to switch to the next one. How right. can I create such an experience in so short time frame? Right, well, in fact, and if you think about the smartphone, for every business is the number one competitor for attention. And, and, and so any experience that you're in, you can immediately drop out of that experience by picking up your smartphone and go someplace else virtually. 
And that's true for smartphone experiences. Like you say, I'm in a TikTok video. It's like, boom, done. Nope, that's not engaging me. I will go someplace else. So getting people's attention is increasingly important through, um, through engagement. Again, by creating experiences uh, that they truly value. Today, you know, a lot of a lot of companies try and get attention via advertising, but advertising just doesn't work in today's world like it used to. I mean, great ones are great, and they'll always be 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 um, uh, beneficial. Um, but for the most part, most companies should stop advertising and putting their and put their marketing money into experiences so they engage people. It's why you see the rise of places like the Guinness Storehouse in Dublin, the Heineken experience in Amsterdam, uh, the role of Coca-Cola in Atlanta, and so on and so forth, is that major brands recognize that they want to reach people and engage them with their brand, right, and capture their time as well as their attention. And if you cap capture people's time and attention, well, the chances they're going to spend money on you is, is so much higher, right? That's why we say that in today's experience economy, as the subtitle of the book has it, is that you're competing for customer time, attention, and money. These are the three key things, the, the currencies of the experience economy. Thank you very much. I think what, what you're often explaining to us and repeating is that we need to make this experience memorable, that people need to remember that. Is there a way to measure that memorability? Uh, yes, it's... it's um, um, it's, it's still more of an art versus a science in terms of memorability. You can survey people. You can think of them. You can watch their social media posts, right, and how often they mention something. You can do sentiment analysis when they talk about you and so forth. Uh, one company I know, uh, Immersion Neuro from uh, famous neuroscientist Paul Zak, has created the ability to measure how engaged or immersed somebody is in an experience through Fitbit devices. And other, and other such devices, right? So they actually can measure the blood flow of your body. They do fMRIs to correlate that to what's going on in your brain, and they can actually draw you the dramatic structure of an experience and show when you're engaged and when you're not through, uh, through any sort of experience. So the science is starting to catch up with the art and, and be able to uh, measure that level of attention and, and, and engagement. And often, and you can use a proxy for time. Right. So how much time are people spending in your experience? Right. That's a great proxy for the attention as well. And as well as how much money they're spending. One of the one of the, and I know I know you you like this uh, part, but one of the things we added in the new edition of the book is the concept of the money value of time. Right. The money value of time is it allows you to compare cross industries and other companies by simply saying, how many, how much expenditures per minute are our customers providing you, right? So like if you go to a Starbucks, for example, and you spend $5 on a cup of coffee and you spend a, you know, half hour or an hour in the, in the, in the place enjoying the experience, the aesthetic experience they provide, well, you're actually spending five to 10 cents per minute, right? That's what it works out to. If you go to a movie and spend, you know, like 12 US dollars for a two hour experience, you're spending 10 cents uh, per minute for that movie. You go to, a, to Walt Disney World, right, and you spend over $100 for an eight or nine, 10 hour day. Guess what? You're spending over 20 uh, um, um, cents per minute, right? Every minute in there, you just take a couple of dimes or a quarter out of your pocket and throw it away. That's what you're spending. So you can use that to compare across industries. And the higher the money value of time or MBT, then 
the greater level of engagement and intention that you're doing, the greater value of the time that they have for, for their money. And many places now, like uh, escape rooms, as well as immersive art exhibits like Meow Wolf and the uh, Van Gogh Experience and others, they're getting four, 30, 40, 50 cents per minute. They're getting more, a higher MVT than even Disney has on its theme parks. And and perhaps let, let's add me one example, because in Europe, if you want to watch soccer match, Champions League, then you pay 90 euros for 90 minutes. And then right. we're speaking for one euro for each minute. There exactly. Exactly. It's a, it's a great example because it works out so well, right? You're playing a euro a minute for a uh, for a soccer match. That's a very high MVT. <laughs> Exactly. Thank you very much. I think the last two questions on the book. Did you really expect it to be such, to get such a success out of this book? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, we thought I, we thought it was like the greatest concept in the world. In fact, I'll tell you a little story uh, before that. Is that uh, I told you how I discovered it out of mass customization, and I was working with um, now my partner Jim Gilmore. But then he was my biggest client. He was a consultant with CSC. And he was, and I was scheduled to meet with him, uh, fly to Cleveland. And so, and, and like the day or two before, I had um, uh, really started thinking about this even more. And I, and I, I got down, I got out, uh, one night I couldn't go to sleep. So I got out this giant sheet of, sheet of paper and I started writing all of the economic distinctions between all of the five economic offerings. Right, everything I could think of, and then and that really allowed you to say, right, these really are distinct. This is different, and so I thought I I just thought, wow, this is so good, right? This has got to be released in the world. So the next morning, <clears throat> I I took that piece of paper, I I typed it up, and then I called Jim's secretary, and I told her, I says, I'm going to fax you a one piece sheet sheet of paper. I want you to go over the fax machine, please, because I don't want anybody else to see it, right, when it's coming through. And then I want to take that sheet of paper put it in a manila envelope, seal it up, and, and give it to Jim, but write on it, do not open until you see Joe, right? And, you know, I did that for two reasons. I, I One is I do it bug him all day long to have this sheet that he can't open up. And two, if my plane went down on the way to Cleveland, I wanted somebody to have this so that it would get out into the world, right? So now, and, and I can't say that all the huge success of experience companies in the last 25 years are because of me, right? That's not the case at all. They, I mean, Disney started doing its thing in 1955 when they came out with 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 Disneyland, um, and uh, uh, but it's that it's that uh, so so e, so the experience economy would have come about even if I'd never come along to name it. Eventually, somebody else would have named it. But it does. It did help many companies recognize much earlier than they would have that. Yeah, this is something different. This is something distinct. This is something that we we need to do. Thank you very much. Um, we are running out of time, and the game is coming to an end. But I would like to ask you three questions. There are short questions. The first, the first one is: Is there another book that you can mention that helped you during your life or, your, or during your career? Um, can I, yeah, in terms of what the book that changed my life is Stan Davis's book, Future Perfect. It's from 1987, but it's as applicable today as it was when he read it, wrote, wrote it. Um, I was a strategic planner for IBM when I read it. And when I read it, it was like the heavens opened up and the angels sang because he, um, he, uh, he coined the term mass customization. 
He had a chapter in there on mass customizing. I said, yes, this is exactly what we need to do at IBM. And I worked to get it into our plans and strategies in our division at IBM. And then IBM sent me to MIT for a year to get my master's degree. And I said, well, I'm going to write a thesis on mass customization and I'm going to turn it into a book. I mean, immediately. That's what I said. That's what I did. That, of course, led to the experience economy. He has another chapter in there called No Matter. And the idea being is that the amount of materiality that, that corporations need to use to create economic value is decreasing you know, almost exponentially. And the, and the singularity folks would tell you it is exponentially. Uh, and, and so there's much greater value to be had in digital technology and how you reduce that materiality. And that inspired the book I mentioned earlier, Infinite Possibility, where I recognize, well, if there's matter and no matter, there must be space and no space. Right, real places, virtual places, there must be time and no time, right? Time, space, and matter are the, the, the trinity of variables that make up the universe and all of our experience, but digital technology en enables, again, uh, no time, no space, and no matter, and that framework is the core of infinite possibility that, that looks at all the different ways that you can fuse uh, the real and the virtual. So that's the book. So I wouldn't be here today talking with you, Greg, if it weren't for that book. Thank you very much. And perhaps uh, you spoke about this book. It was written quite a lot of time ago. Uh, what do you foresee in customer experience, for example, in 10 years from now? Well, it, uh, hopefully in 10 years from now, everybody in customer experience will re recognize the difference between great service and great experiences, the distinctions between those, and work effect as much effectively on experiences as on services. Because you, so experiences are built on top of service. Part of the progression of economic value is that all of these offerings are built upon the ones below. You can't have a transformation without experiences that, that change you. You can't have experiences without the ser service activities that make that happen. You can't have services activities without the objects that you use to, to do those services. And you can't have those objects unless you have the raw materials of commodities. So, so like you go to a, a Disney World theme park again, since we mentioned them, um, you want the service aspects to be nice and easy and convenient. You don't want to spend 20 minutes at admission getting into the park. You want that boom done. So, you, well, let's get a magic band. Let's go boom done to beep. You're on, right? It takes a fraction of a second practically. That's what you want. So that is, so it's great. All the things that are doing to make the, the these services frictionless are great because again, they they free up people's time, right, and, and their money. But, but people's time, the most precious resource on the planet is the time of individual human beings. And great CX frees up that time. Again, so they can spend on experiences. But, but in the CX profession, we need to then spend the time on making sure those experiences are done well, that those experiences are engaging, compelling, and, and especially uh, uh, memorable. Thank you very much. Um, the last question before we close with the golden nugget, if somebody would like to contact you to ask you questions. Uh, if you want to uh, contact me, you can connect on me with LinkedIn as uh, as you did, Greg. Uh, and I'm also on Twitter at Joe Pine. Uh, and then we have a website, strategichorizons.com, strategichorizons with an S.com, uh, where you can learn all about me, my partner, our ideas. I've got thought posts out there where I extend the ideas from the book that you can look up. Uh, we have, uh, and on there, you also find out about our uh, Experience Economy Expert Certification course, 
a four and a half day immersion in the experience of accounting where you truly become an expert in all the ideas, principles, and frameworks we have, as well as that we have an on-stage offering that's a frontline video training. So if you're, you're frontline, you have frontline people, you're interacting directly with customers, you need to understand that work is theater and you need to direct your workers to act and on stage is a great way to uh, be able to do that. Thank you very much. You also have an outstanding newsletter that I will add into, into the show notes that people can, can join and subscribe it. Please, Thank please, you. Yeah, uh, quarterly newsletter and it's on our contact page. Thank you very much. And now we are really uh, coming to an end. The last question is Joe Pine Golden Nugget. It's something that we discussed or something new that you would like to leave to the audience. I would, the golden nugget I'd leave is I would suggest every person in the audience ask themselves, what business are we really in? What business are we really in? Are we in the uh, uh, business of, of extracting commodities, making goods, delivering services, staging experiences, and um, uh, and even guiding transformations, right? And so, for example, for, for, for you, Greg, and others who are really helping companies embrace these concepts, well, you're really in the transformation business, right? You need to help companies guide, uh, you need to guide them into achieving their aspirations of becoming great experience companies and so it's always important to ask what business you're in and recognize the opportunities of being in the higher level businesses in the progression of economic value. I conclude saying thank you very much, Joe. For me, it was a great experience. I will remember for a long time this discussion. Thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you, you Greg. Thanks for having me on. Joe, please stay with me. And to the audience, thank you very much. It was a great pleasure. Please um, uh, watch the webpage of, uh, of Joe, look on that, look on at these videos, because I think you can le really learn something and we can drive the customer experience and the business for everybody forward. Thank you very much. It was a great pleasure. If you enjoyed this episode, please share the word of mouth, subscribe it, share it. Until the next episode, please don't forget, we are not in a B2B or B2C business, we are in a human-to-human -human environment. Thank you!